Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Psychologist Saab Johal has a great topic today, and everyone is <laughs> emailing us pages of stories, which is great. Uh, this is about how a pet can be a, having a pet can be a really valuable experience for children, or indeed for the whole family dynamic. Uh, so, pick up for us. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because it's a it's a really common touch point in people's lives. You know, our lives are quite different and quite uh, disparate these days, and often we can feel quite disconnected from other people. And one of the ways that we come together is through our love of pets and the way that pets have been in our lives, either as adults as we were growing up, or the way that we introduce pets into our children's lives or into our family family lives, or, and people on their own too. It's often a real uh, counterpoint and buffering impact to the severe impacts that we're discovering of things like loneliness. What are some of the benefits that are well established? Some of the, if we're, if we're looking at children, say, particularly, um, one of the things is around unconditional acceptance. This idea that actually you've got this animal that uh, you're attached to, and that seems to be one of the fundamental pillars here, is that you actually need to be able to connect with and care for and love your animal. Because if you don't attach to your animal, then some of these benefits don't really accrue. But to have some an animal, a being to talk to, uh, as a bit of a counterpoint to sibling rivalry or emotional distress or feeling lonely and having a play, a play buddy, that's one of the really big benefits of having uh, a pet. And there's also the idea of empathy. So this idea that um, actually children that have companion animals, pets, seem to score higher on these empathy measures and scales. And, and the theory is that we transfer the empathy that we develop for animals to people also. And uh, if, you look, if you look at children who are around four or five years old that have had ch- uh, animals introduced into their lives, they score quite, um, quite a lot higher, significantly higher on social, emotional and cognitive competence than their peers. Uh, the socialising is important, isn't it? Especially where a child is used to being teased or bullied, perhaps, uh, or is socially a bit reserved. Again, it's that unconditional love that you would get from particular pets. I, don't, I always think of dogs in, in that instance, but other, other pets as well. And it's a biggie, isn't it? It's giving them the ability to begin to trust themselves and interacting positively and receiving as well as giving good feelings, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting as a research question as to, where, is it something about families that get pets? Uh, they're, they're actually, they have a social climate that's accepting of that, nurturing and introducing something to be nurtured, but also offer something back. Or is it something different? And it's, it's a little bit hard to disentangle. I know that when I was growing up, you know, culturally, my parents grew up on a farm in what is now Pakistan, and they saw that animals places, uh, an animal's place was on the farm. It wasn't, wasn't to be a pet. Whereas I, as an adult, have had pets in my life. Uh, but it's something that was different to me. So our experience and what we bring and our family background impacts upon the place that animals have in our life. But yes, absolutely. They, they offer an opportunity to develop confidence through responsibility and the experience of nurturing and caring for another being. And I think that that's a, an important developmental um, pathway uh, and, and 
and milestone to negotiate for children as they grow well, older. Well, that's true, actually, because if it's a child who doesn't have siblings, perhaps, uh, or uh, is, is the youngest, it might be the first time they take on the responsibility of feeding something, caring for something, being kind to something, correcting something, watching out for for something other than themselves. And indeed, um, I've got, got one here I'll mention in a moment, with siblings, there's that inbuilt rivalry and competition but with the pet, as we said, there's the unconditional love going on, isn't there? So for the first time, you might be sacrificing something, probably something off your plate or, <laughs> or some time uh, just to spend some time with the animal. So they're beginning to do the giving, aren't they? Uh, this is the one that, um, that cracks me up. We, we have a wonderful cat called Missy who joined our family from the SBCA in Whangarei when we lived there in 96. When young, she divided her time at night, sleeping on each of our three children's beds almost by rotation. <laughs> Instinctively understood there had to be fairness here. If anyone in the house is sick, she just hunkers down on their bed and shifts only for life's necessities. She's lived in five different houses and still travels regularly to our batch at weekend. She's 20 and a half now. And my husband has given up telling folks she won't make another Christmas. That's another point. Die, the, the, the life cycle, life and death. Mm. I note our children now all having left home stop for the last cuddle when they're there. During her long life, she's helped settle our children... Um, and each shift and has been a constant in our lives. Uh, but that's another factor, isn't it? Um, it might be the child's first experience of grief, of losing something that they love and feeling that acute loss for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and often it's those pets with that shorter life cycle, you know, the goldfish, the hamsters, the gerbils. All of those, often they... Budgies. They, budgie. <laughs> I went through three budgies. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that can be often the first real experience of big loss uh, that they have to negotiate. So being able to be supported through that and understanding what it is to lose uh, and to and to grieve and, and how that comes in ways. And it's different for everyone, but often that's their first experience. But what you do offer there and that story tells us is that, you know, these pets have places in the entirety of the family's life and over a long period of time. So these are stories that we live with and that we tell to each other and becomes part of our family uh, history too. And it's a really nice counterpoint. Again, when there's strife going on in families or where there's difficult times, people can come together around the care for for the pet and the stories uh, and comfort that those pets offer us because pets are really accepting. Um, and they're also really sensitive, like that story demonstrated around illness and where people are having a hard time. Well, let me read this one out, and it really, um, oh, it's painful even to read. Ten years ago, both of my daughters were killed in a car crash. After receiving the news, I sat on the floor in the bathroom and sobbed. Out of the corner of my eye, my cat came in. She crept towards me, making a strange yowling noise. I kept sobbing, and she jumped on my lap, put her paws on my chest, and bit my lip, not hard, just enough to make me stop. She then kept her paws on my chest and just stared at me. This lasted for a minute or so. Then, as I calmed down, she curled up on my lap and we sat there for over an hour. After that, she would wait at the end of the driveway for me to come home and follow me like a dog and would pat my face if ever I was having a bad day. She died last year at the ripe old age of 20. A truly special wee puss. They have exceptional abilities, some of these animals, and we're seeing them increasingly used in therapy. Um, I'm aware of the... Um, organisation that, that uh, trains dogs, assistance dogs New Zealand. We're hearing remarkable stories about sometimes children with um, autism uh, that may be having quite chronic effects on their ability to go outside even or to relate and we're reading incredible stories about what dogs in particular can do that can restore normality or open doors 
to family life. Yes, that, that, that's a really touching story about the, the ability of animals to be able to sense what's going on in their surroundings and to, and to offer real comfort. But also that really practical uh, aspect of how it is that they can improve uh, and add to people's lives, particularly people perhaps who are different to others. So people who are um, growing up with autism in their lives, either as a parent or as a child who, who has autism, then the safety and companionship that can be offered by dogs and cats too, actually, it's interesting. Um, dogs can be quite uh, challenging sometimes, although you know most studies are done with dogs, they're a little bit bigger than cats. They can bark and uh, they can be a lot more in your face. They're than very a cat good guides, be. and that's what I think is happening sometimes in the case of the trained dogs with autism. In this case, it's the ability to go out walking with a child and not have to somehow restrain them, you know, which you yes. don't want to do. Yeah. But the dog is effectively the check yeah. on the child. And a bigger dog acts mm. as a really nice anchor. You know, they're trained to stay mm. put. And if the child is tethered to that dog, then the parent has some security of knowing that the, that the child can't go that far away. There's, there was a study done in France um, not, not that long ago, uh, and it was really interesting because they differentiated between... Um, children, autistic children that had grew up with a dog or had a dog introduced into their life at around about four or five years old. And they were the ones who seemed to show the major improvement in sharing with others and in being able to comfort people with distress. And the interesting thing was that it was not correlated with IQ. So it worked for all those children, regardless of the severity of their symptoms. And they're not really sure why that was the case. You know, there's the practical stuff, as you said, that, you know, it's keeping that child safe. But they're also saying that actually it may strengthen the cohesion of the family, the introduction of that animal and that dog, because it actually relieves some of the symptoms for the autistic child. The family is able to come together and do different things in a different way. The other thing, and I recall reading another astonishing story again, and I, we haven't been able to have just relocated on the spot uh, of, of a dog again, and I think it was a, a, a case again of a child with um, autism in a way that was tremendously affecting for the family, including the relationships even with the, w w with the parents, and the dog just seemed to calm this little person. Uh, and it comes again to... I'm just supposing here, but often the frustration sometimes in communication, right? And it's acute, especially when it's your family and, you know, um, you, you, you really are wanting something that seems to be hard to get. But with the dog, you're not dealing with that, are you? With no. the dog, it's just, again, there. It's a dog. It's caring for you. It's very sensitive to what's going on. And it almost seemed to relieve some of the tension that was attached to the situation. Yeah, absolutely. They, they're great circuit breakers, you know, and some of that cumulative stress that's adding up when you're in a difficult situation where you're trying to care for a child that's quite demanding and the family is struggling with that, introducing something new that doesn't take a lot of care, that actually calms down the child, can relieve a lot of stress and I break think, that I circuit. I think that frustration is two ways too, isn't it? You know, And for the child, it was a situation where... Um, he perhaps wasn't feeling some of the frustrations of the difficulties that, that there are in the, in the communication or whatever is going on in his particular case. Um, he wasn't under or feeling that friction or, or tension or frustration with the dog. Mm. Here's another one. Again, I'm a veterinarian, and over the years I've heard many stories about how pets came into the families. One which really sticks in my mind is one I heard when putting down an elderly sick cat and heard the reason for its arrival. The son in the family, uh, who was primary school age, saw his father die in a working accident. After the trauma, the son was withdrawn and non-communicative. It was only the arrival of the cat which helped him through his grief and got him communicating again with his family and friends, 
even thinking of that story again brings tears to my eyes, the incredible value of that cat and the incredible sadness of its life finally coming to an end. Again, in that case, acute grief and possibly uncommunicable or even understood feelings that child was having, the tension's there, isn't it, with the family? Like, it's there in the room with the family. Mm. But with the cat, you're not trying to explain something you can't explain or feeling something you need to deliver somehow. Mm. The cat's the circuit breaker again. Mm. We're, we're able to have very deep, complex relationships with, with our animals. That's very clear. But at the same time, there's something beautifully simple about the relationship that we have with our animals, particularly the stories that they encapsulate for our families. You know, most often it's the time that that cat got into trouble or that dog did a cute thing or a crazy thing when somebody came to visit. And we, we have those stories that tell the history of our families and enable us to, to grieve or, or to be able to celebrate um, our family life through the story and, and um, commemorating our, our animal's life. Another here is talking about uh, where we began with this, which is um, the impact or important part of a child's thinking and emotional development and how the arrival of various pets has, has helped that, what it teaches about basic human disciplines, you know, um, feed, feeding, kindness, mm. patience, injury and coping with death and disposal, uh, etc. But we were actually seeing even things like reading to dogs. What's some of the research mm. uh, about reading to dogs that can lead to an improvement in reading fluency? Because, again, if you're a struggling reader, mm. if you're with the parent or the adult or the caregiver or the tutor, you're sitting there going, oh, God, you know, you're, you're there in that burning moment. Yes. Your dog's not going to worry about whether you're getting the words right or the story right again. No. Um, and that, again, can be an experience of practicing something, trying something, doing something with a completely non-threatening yeah. mate. So there's a couple of things about that. So there's one little study that I came across where there was a five-week program that was done with kids and those kids that were reading to dogs increased their reading fluency slightly uh, compared to those kids that didn't, um, but they were reading to people instead. But the interesting thing was those people who are reading to people, a third of that group dropped out. No one dropped out of the reading, reading to dogs group. And it's interesting to understand or to think about why that might be. Uh, and the thing about dogs or animals generally is that they're predictably unpredictable. So what they do is that they offer a mild discrepancy or difference from an established pattern some completely new information sometimes and sometimes they do things that are just not expected and completely different to what they were doing but what we know is that children learn and retain more in uh, topics and subjects where they're emotionally invested and their learning is optimized when it occurs in meaningful relationships and when children have relationships with a non-judgmental audience like a dog although it sounds daft it really does seem to make an increase uh, facilitate an increase in their reading fluency dogs are getting a good run out of this but they come to mind again when it comes to exercise of course and if you've got a dog you ought to walk the thing um yep. so that's part of your routine that might be the way you get a bit of pocket money it might not be it might be just something you have to go do but also it's that socialisation, because I'm not a dog owner, regrettably. I simply, unless I had them sitting under the seat here, wouldn't feel like I could do the job right now. But I feel like an honorary dog owner, because whenever I go for a walk, there's this whole community of people who have dogs who stop and talk and socialise and discuss and almost live on their own little their own little community. And I'm an honorary one of those. I yeah. stop and discuss dogs all the time. Um, and again, is this another 
um, it's a talking point. It's a way for someone to stop, and, and kids will do this. They'll stop and pat and, yes. and converse. Absolutely. Um, studies have shown that it's one of the big ways for neighbourhoods to connect with each other. And when they're crossing over, even if um, they don't have dogs themselves, adults connect, and the children's pet, the children pet their, their animals, or, or they make play dates and, and do other things. The interesting thing is, you know, with my other hat, I've worked in disaster mental health. One of the things that happened in Canterbury was the lack of green space. People talked about the lack of opportunity to A, walk their dog, but B, to connect with other people whilst they were doing that. So the social connection that comes from owning a pet and being able to talk about your pet and, and connect with, with uh, people with other animals, again, it's, it provides that connection point where we have perhaps quite difficult and different lives. It's something that's relatively easy to talk about. And yes, the exercise, people who get dogs, adults who get dogs, walk more after they got their dogs than they did beforehand. And kids, 12-year-olds, Sorry, nine to ten year olds in a study that was done in England not too not too long ago, they spend more time being physically active and they have more steps per day. And it's the same season upon season, weekends to weekdays, boys and girls. It seems to be a universal effect of having a dog. Great district library here, because this is a point. There's an expense particularly to, to dogs, an expense to several pets, but they are uh, they're not cheap. They're gonna be registered no, and vet yeah. fees and feed and everything else. Uh, Grey District Library on the West Coast has sessions where children read to Waldo the dog. He has a special permit to visit the library. I gather it's been very helpful for children with reading difficulties and for some who've not been interested in books. So that's the case again where even access to someone else's animal. Someone else might love you to go and walk their dog once a day or or once a week or or, or whatever. What are some of the other benefits that you see? I mean, the old love drug, the bonding drug is um, access through caring for pets as well right yeah so there is some evidence to show that when you look into your animal's eyes actually what it does it it triggers oxytocin which is that love and bonding um, hormone that we have uh, not just for you but also for your animal so you're increasing and strengthening the bond the more time you spend actually looking and gazing at each other which is actually something that was you know relatively surprising we thought that was limited to human human interactions it's not might depend on the animal. The goldfish probably doesn't give you that quite that gold growth. Well, the budgies certainly didn't. Although they did stare at you. They stare at you on the side of their heads. Well, maybe they have to be able to blink, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's that long, loving gaze that's needed, isn't it? Uh, what of another side of things, though, which is is that need to help a child understand to be careful and loving and caring with a pet? Uh, and what do you do if they're not instinctively? Because this happens. This absolutely happens. Happens, uh, and, and kids are unkind or um, careless with pets, or or even in some instances hurt them. Right? Yeah. How do we make sense of what's going on and when to really worry yes. that something's all right, and when just to help them in their learning and their compassion. So you can certainly structure the amount of responsibility that you're giving to a child. So three-year-olds can cope quite well with feeding, you know, feeding bowls, water bowls and things like that. And then you graduate them onto things like grooming and walking. And, you know, different animals have different temperaments as well. So it's good to make sure that you're paying attention to whether there's a good fit between your family, the child and and the animal's needs and their personality and temperament too. Like, say, for cats, we know that actually um, cats' temperaments don't seem to reveal themselves in in their entirety until they're at least about nine months old. So you have to make sure that actually that's going to be an okay fit. When you do see things um, going awry or if you see you know, outright cruelty going on, then we do need to 
intervene and step in and say, actually, what's going on here? Is this something that the animal is doing? Is it something that the child is doing? Some miscommunication here, or perhaps there's um, irritation or um, impulse control uh, issues that need to be addressed for that child or for, or for that family. But you do need to intervene because what we know is that if there's a history uh, of cruelty to animals, it can lead people onto a, you know, a worrying developmental pathway. We know if we look backwards on people uh, at people's lives who are troubled, then we can sometimes pick up uh, patterns of abuse, including with animals. It doesn't mean that those children who do have problems with animals and, and who do uh, perhaps are cruel to them are necessarily going to end up troubled, but it is an indicator that we should be intervening and, and, and looking at There's that. There's a difference carefully. between not understanding that you're hurting something and understanding that and still doing it, and that latter bit is, is the worrying, but it could be indicative of all sorts, all sorts of things. The other thing I think is that you do have to be careful because you're role modelling, right? And we hear every year about the pets that are dumped at Christmas, mm. you know. Uh, and if you can't do the caring, then don't role model not caring for something, right? So you need to think about what you're taking on, right? You do. And that's why the social climate of the of the family is really important too because you, you need to be setting um, that that model of what it is that you do to be an effective uh, and responsible pet owner and then you see the benefits starting to accrue because actually what you're trying to do is to facilitate that attachment that caring and that connection with the animal because without that nothing else comes and if a child is neglectful if it's their responsibility to go out and you know do the feeding or clean out the cage or whatever and they're being neglectful of that how do you deal with that apart from probably doing it yourself and moving on but I think that's the big conversation before you get the animal. Uh, certainly, if, then. Yeah. If this happens, then this will. This is what happens. And if this does not happen, then there will be consequences. So it may be, you know, actually getting rid of the animal is not that realistic because everyone's attached to it. But it may be that there are other consequences in that child or that um, family's life where there are certain things that happen if certain care responsibilities aren't taken care of. Here's another lovely email. Uh, well, actually, it's, it's a hard email to read again, but it's lovely to hear the impact that a pet had. Our son was diagnosed as twice exceptional, which means he possessed incredible academic ability but was on the more immature side socially. Gifted kids often have gaps that need supporting or they actually fail. Uh, although some people assume gifted means guaranteed to succeed, this is not the case and they can struggle with aspects of learning or social situations that trip them up. Our son was not understood by a number of teachers and from a young age at school was bullied psychologically by one teacher in particular who was clever enough to cover it. The damage he did before we got our son out of there was, in my opinion, helped a lot by the fact that our son has a very close and mutually re loving relationship with our cat, uh, an SPCA cat, with a lot of love to give and his unconditional love was clearly a huge tonic for our son. He loves nothing more than to swoop the cat up and take him to his bedroom each night where he falls asleep with his arms around the cat. Whenever he seems a bit stressed out while studying, he will stop and find the cat and pick him up and cuddle him. You can just see the stress coming off him. I shudder to think what the lack of such a beautiful, peaceful, loving relationship between human and ha animal might have meant over these formative years. Interesting, isn't it? It, it is. It can be um, a counterpoint to unkindness. Yeah, and, and the evidence is that they can offer a real protective effect for the impact of emotional distress. When people are put in these challenging situations, bullying situations or sibling rivalry situations, often it's the pet that can offer the real buffer and counterpoint to that 
kind of stress. Thank you, Saab. Saab Johal. And thank you, listeners, for uh, all the emails and stories that you sent in, some of them very personal. Thank you for that. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 